0: All right. Good evening and welcome to our midweek Bible study. On Thursday nights, we're going through the Bible book by book and chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And we find ourselves tonight in the Song of Solomon, chapter five. We finished chapter four. Last week we're doing about a chapter a week. So we would encourage you and invite you at this time there online uh, for those of you that are watching to join with us. And as you're turning there, I want to mention just two things real quick. The first of which is that we have launched phase one of our new jdforog.org website. Uh, If you haven't already, we'd encourage you to check it out and subscribe, and we will be getting those notifications out. We really appreciate your prayer for us and your patience with us. Um, On Sunday we asked for prayer, and I wanted to do that again tonight especially for the benefit of those of you that are online. Uh, We really need a miracle uh, in every sense of the word. And we need prayer concerning the relocation of the cell antennas that are on our building. We have done everything we can legally in the sense that we've crossed every T and dotted every I. We've done all of our due diligence within our legal rights. And now it's in the Lord's hands. And I hate to say it like this, but it is going to take a miracle to get those antennas off of our building. So what we're asking for is prayer specifically. And actually, every time you pray, just say, Lord, and get those antennas off the building. That's all you have to do. Just pray that they find a new location. That's our specific prayer, that they identify uh, a new location and relocate the antennas to that location so we can commence with the repairs to the roof. It is leaking, especially when there's heavy rains. And this is certainly the uh, season for heavy rains. In fact, even now, for the benefit of those of you that are online, uh, it's raining pretty heavily here, tropical rain. We're not complaining, especially for those of you that have snow. (laughs) We love you. Aloha. But uh, we have rain. And so uh, when it rains, of course, the water leaks and then it's causing damage. And we really need to get that taken care of. So please pray as the Lord puts that on your heart. And thank you for that. All right, let's get into the word. Song of Solomon, chapter five. Let's pray if you would join with me. Before we get started, we'll ask God to bless our Bible study tonight. Looking forward to what the Lord has for us. So let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we're so very grateful to You for Your Word. And Lord, we're so very grateful to You for this Bible study that we have on a Thursday night in the middle of the week, towards the end of the week, where we could just come together put aside all the busyness and the stress of our daily lives, especially in this time that we're in with everything that's happening in the world today. Or this is a solace for us. It's a sanctuary for us. And so Lord, we just want to put all of that aside and give You our undivided attention. Because Lord, we know that when we do, you speak into our lives and you minister to us. You encourage us. You strengthen us. Lord, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by Your Word. And Lord, we want to have ears to hear. We want to hear You speak in and through Your Word into our lives. We're thirsty, we're hungry, and we know that only You can satiate. That hunger and that thirst that we have. And it's with great anticipation that tonight we just look forward to You doing just that, as You're always so faithful to, as only You can. So Lord, thank You. Thank You for this chapter here in Your Word. Lord, we need for the Holy Spirit now to show us what it is that You want us to see and to speak that which it is that You would desire for us to hear and Lord, that we would have hearts to receive and heed, take heed to Your Word. In Jesus name. Amen. So I don't know if you can hear that online. That's the rain I was talking about. So uh, if I'm yelling, it's to uh, yell over the rain. That's my story and I'm sticking with it. So you'll have to go with it. All right. Well, interesting chapter before us tonight. How many of you have read ahead to stay ahead? You know what's here in this chapter? Good. So here in chapter five, we find the newlywed wife sort of sleeping in. And it's the morning after the wedding night, which was what chapter four was about. And it seems that this newlywed wife has missed her husband who was knocking on the door and she doesn't open the door right away. She does open the door, but she doesn't open it right away. And then when she does, she realizes that she's too late and he's not there. So that's what the chapter's about. Let's close in prayer and we'll. <laughs> As I sought the Lord concerning how it is that I should teach this chapter. I sensed that he would have me to talk about how that Jesus is at the door. And I say this in the sense really two ways, in a twofold way. First, not only is Jesus at the door as it relates to the rapture of the church, which, by the way, we're going to be talking about, Lord willing, in the Prophecy Update on Sunday, just how close we really are. I know you're looking at me like, Pastor J.D., you say that every week. What's so special about this week? Oh, it's, it's really close now. <laughs> it's it's uh, very interesting. Some things that uh, happened just this week and uh, some things that are uh, certainly on the horizon. And if you're a believer in and follower of Jesus Christ, it is absolutely exciting right? If you're not, uh, in all fairness, it's understandably so. It's not exciting, it's terrifying. And and rightfully so, and it should be. Because with everything that's happening and with what's coming, uh, certainly it is an indication of just how close we are to the sound of the trumpet. Uh, I'm just going to say it. Uh, I I never tire of saying it. I hope you don't tire of me saying it. But the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ is not only at the door, it can happen at any time now. It can happen at any time now, sooner than any of us could even begin to imagine. That's how close we are with everything that's happening. Well, we're going to see that here tonight in this chapter, but also in a second way, twofold way, so too is Jesus at the door of our Christian lives, as it were. And by that I mean that He's knocking on the door of our Christian lives, seeking to come in as we read in Revelation, which by the way, it is believed that the Revelation three, I think it's verse 22. In the letter to the church of Laodicea, the seventh of seven churches there in the book of Revelation, when Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you will open up, I will come in and sup with you and you with me. It is believed that that is actually a reference to this chapter here in the book of the Song of Solomon. Now, why do I mention that? Because the book of Revelation, um, it's thought, this is is really quite fascinating. But the book of Revelation, over 90% of it is a verbatim reference to the Old Testament. And there's a reason for that, because it was written at a time, it's believed about the year 95 AD and the persecution of the church at that time was unspeakable, unthinkable. And so it was written in a way that only they would understand because they had the Old Testament Scriptures and they could sort of connect those dots. So there's a reference to the seven spirits of God. Well, that is a reference from Isaiah, the sevenfold spirit the work of the Spirit in a sevenfold way. Now, somebody getting that letter that was written to that church at that time, they're going to read that and go, what's this about? That's the point. Then it gets to uh, the church that it was intended for, and they read it, and they're like light bulbs going off. So when the church of Laodicea, a physical, literal church, receives that letter, and they read that Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. They would have connected the dots with this book, The Song of Solomon, as we're going to see here tonight. So what I want to do, and I'll do my best, and I uh, <laughs> appreciate your patience with me. I, um, on Thursdays, I spend some time in prayer and preparation, just to ask the Lord to, to help me teach in a way that is, um, you know, rightly dividing the Word of God in such a way that it's easy to understand. And certainly by way of application, I really want to make the personal application from this chapter as it relates to Jesus being at the door in this twofold way. So we're going to jump in now. Verse one is actually a spilling over from the previous chapter. Uh, I believe it is still the night of the wedding, the wedding night where they've consummated and celebrated the wedding. And then as was the custom at that time, the bridegroom would come out to the wedding party, the wedding guests at the wedding feast. And this is what I believe verse one is referring to. It says, "I have come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk." Ooh. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> "Eat, O oh, friends. Drink. Yes, drink deeply. O beloved ones. Again, I think that he is speaking now at the end of that seven period of completion, consummation of the marriage together, the union. And then he says to the wedding guests there at the wedding feast to eat and drink and celebrate. Now, verse two, we turn this corner. And we read, I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, Open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. Interesting." So here her beloved, her newlywed husband is knocking on the door, and it seems that neither the sound of his voice nor the love in his words were enough for her to get up and open the door immediately. We're going to see in the next verse that she does again open the door. but. It doesn't seem like that, and we're going to see this in the next verse as well, that there wasn't really a lot of urgency. So here's what I'm thinking. Isn't this true in our lives as Christians? The Lord's knocking on the door of our lives. Oh, we hear His voice. He's speaking. The Lord is always speaking. The sound of His voice. It's always there. That's not the question. The question is, do we hear it? And if we answer yes, I hear His voice. We hear His words. Then the next question becomes, are you going to take action now? Oh, I will. No hurry. No worry. There's no rush. There's no urgency. Just with the sound of His voice, or even the love in His words. And His words are always loving towards us. We're going to talk about that at the conclusion of the chapter. So verse three, her response to his knocking at the door and hearing the sound of his voice, she says, I have taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I defile them? Wow, uh, where I come from, they, they call that making excuses. You probably know where I'm going with this, so I'll just get right to the point. Don't we do that? We make excuses. Uh, I I need to do this first. I need to do that. I You know, I'm not quite ready yet. No, I, I hear your voice. You're speaking to me. You're calling me. I, I hear you knocking. But I, I just, I've already sort of got this thing going and I've, I don't want to just, you know, it's an interruption. It's an interruption. And this is what we're going to see here, verse 4. My beloved, put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. I arose, verse 5, to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. Oh, so I have a question. Why didn't she just jump up and open the door the first time? Why did she delay? Why did she wait? I have a couple of thoughts here, and by way of application I think it's apropos to our Christian lives. Um, It's an inconvenience. Um, We're caught off guard. We weren't ready. And so when the knock comes, And then by the time we get up to respond to the Lord, it's too late. And that's what we're going to see next here in verse five, uh, verse six, pardon me. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. My heart leaped up when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. To me, this speaks to the importance of seeking the Lord while he may be found and calling upon him while he is near. This is Isaiah 55 verse six. We're going to see this on Sunday. It's really quite chilling, but when God destroyed the world with the flood, He declares that He will not strive with the spirit of man forever. There comes a time when God just says, okay, and the knocking stops. The voice ceases and no longer can He be found and no longer is he near. I think if you were to put a word as a caption under everything we've seen in these first six verses, it would be this word. And again, very apropos in the context of what we're looking at here. The word is urgency. Urgency. There's no urgency. There's no, for lack of a better way of saying it, there's no now. There's no now in my relationship with the Lord. No, now, not later. We procrastinate, don't we, when it comes to the things of God? It's, yeah, you know, I need to get this established first. I think once I am more, you know, stable, then I'll fully commit to the Lord. Well, how do you know that? I would venture to say that, in my own personal experience over the years walking with the Lord, I've never seen it work like that. I've never seen it work like this, where someone says, "Hey, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna devote my life to the Lord. I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve the Lord, but I need to do this first. And then when I'm I'm more established, I'm, I'm more steady, I'm more ready, I'm more able. Then I'll." Serve the Lord. You know what? Then never comes. No, serve Him now. Now, not tomorrow. Now's the time. Verse 7, and you'll have to be patient with me on this one. I think you'll see why here in a moment. So now He's gone. She's opened the door. Where is He? Need to go find Him. Verse 7 The watchmen who went about the city found me. They struck me. What? They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took my veil away from me. I have to confess that this verse is just a little bit convicting as it relates to watchmen watchmen being and doing more harm than good, as it seems is the case here. Now, we're not told specifically, and, and certainly we can speculate as to what they did to her as she's seeking the Lord. These are the watchmen now. You know what the watchmen are, right? They're guarding the city. They're watchmen on the wall, and they're to sound the alarm and blow the trumpet, if there's any threat of harm by an enemy approaching the city. So she goes out into the city streets looking for her husband, and she comes upon the watchman. Of course, she's going to come upon them. And instead of helping her, they hurt her. Well, you know, this is one of those verses where I think we would do well to ask the Lord, why is this here? What is it that you want me to see here? We know that all Scripture is God breathed for a purpose, whether it's instruction or rebuke. We don't like the rebuke part. We like the, (laughs) the other parts. But certainly this is here for a reason. And the Holy Spirit, deemed it necessary to include this part of the song here in this chapter. So why is it here? I am personally of the belief that it is an indictment on those watchmen modern day who, for whatever reason, are a hindrance to God's people in seeking the Lord. We don't know what it is that they took away from her, the the veil? What veil? Obviously, it was an article of clothing that she was wearing, and they took it from her. Could that be representative of watchmen taking away something from those who are seeking the Lord, longing for the return of the Lord? I think watchmen have to be, oh, so careful. And this is why it's so convicting to me personally that we are a help to God's people, that we don't hurt or wound God's people. I wonder, was she disappointed? I mean, he's the watchman after all. We're supposed to, I know this is deeply profound, but don't watchmen watch? They're watchmen, so they watch. And so certainly they're, they're watching and certainly in their watching they would have seen where he went. And instead of pointing them to Jesus, they rebuke them? Is that what happened here? Very possibly. I think watchmen can be, and again, I appreciate your patience with me on this. I, I take this very seriously, this verse. But I think watchmen do err greatly when they become the ones that the people go to. All we're to do is to point them to Jesus, to sound the alarm as watchmen on the wall that Jesus is coming. That's all we're to do. It's something the last, I want to say about two, three months now, the Lord very clearly has ministered to me. It's very simple. It's get Jesus to the people and get the people to Jesus. And here's that word now, now, now's the time, because we're almost out of time. It's like the Lord, and I remember it was as clear as day for me where the Lord just spoke to my heart and said, I want you to get them to me. I'll take her from there. Okay, that's pretty easy. That's simple enough. Just get them to you, right? Yeah, just give them to me. And I'll take her from there. Get Jesus to the people and get the people to Jesus. That's it. And by the way, don't put it off. Do it now. Every week when I give you that privilege, to stand behind this pulpit and preach and teach as a watchman, especially teaching Bible prophecy, don't. Um, uh, oh, how do I say this without? Uh, well, I'll just I'll just say it. Don't get in my way, and don't get in their way, coming to me, because watchmen can do that. Where all of a sudden it's it's them, the watchmen. And now, all of a sudden, and you'll forgive me, but now all of a sudden it's, what does so-and-so say? I hope this doesn't sound bad, but for lack of a better way of saying it, who cares what they say? Well, I wonder what what J.D. is going to say about this. Don't do that stop that. It doesn't matter what I have to say. The only thing that matters is, what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? What does God's Word say? And oh, by the way, God's Word is the final Word. God has the final say. Well, yeah, but it's really interesting. You know what's happening, the developments in the Middle East and the peace agreements, and now I guess Morocco. Did you see this this week? And I wonder what J.D. has to say about that. What? (laughs) Let's see what God's Word has to say. Okay, I'm really convicted right now. So (laughs) we're going to move on to verse eight. Thank you, Jesus. So now she leaves the watchman, thank God, they're of no help. And verse 8, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem. This isn't the first time she's had the encounter with the watchman, and it's not the first time that she's been searching and finds the daughters of Jerusalem. And she says to them, if you find my beloved, that you tell him, I am lovesick. And this again, not the first time she says that she's lovesick. This really captures the lovesick longing in the hearts of God's people for the appearing of the Lord. You know when uh, the Apostle Paul, by the way, uh, Lord willing, this Sunday we're going to finish Second Timothy chapter three. And you know, it comes after Second Timothy chapter 3, right? Again, deeply profound, chapter 4. Can't wait for chapter 4. Well, when we get to verses 7 and 8 in Second Timothy chapter 4, we read this very well-known passage of Scripture where the Apostle Paul, knowing that his life is about to come to an end, this is probably the last time he'll ever write a letter, an epistle, and he's writing it to Timothy. He knows that it's just a matter of time, any day now, and so these are his final words. And what does he say to Timothy, whom he loves, as we're <laughs> learning on Sunday mornings? He loves him like a son. Like a son. And says as much. And he says to Timothy, I've fought the good fight of faith. I've, I've finished the race. Not I've run the race. No, I've finished. I crossed the finish line. And now here's what awaits me. What awaits me is this crown of righteousness. That's what awaits me. Because I finished. I finished the race. I fought the good fight. And then he says, this crown of righteousness. And by the way, for those of you that are interested, do a study on the crowns. Very fascinating. This is a specific crown of righteousness. And guys, if you're getting weird on the whole crown thing, think about it as a king, the crown of a king. (laughs) And we're going to cast those crowns before him, but we're going to receive this crown of righteousness because Paul goes on to say to Timothy, it's not just for me only that I'm going to receive this crown of righteousness. It's for all who long dare I say ache, yearn, yearn for His appearing. There's a crown of righteousness for those that are longing for the Lord's return in the rapture of the church. Notice the appearing, not the coming. That's not a play on words. The appearing of the Lord. That's where He appears and He He doesn't come all the way to the earth. That's the second coming after the seven year tribulation. This is the rapture, when the Lord appears and takes us as His bride to that place that He's prepared for us, as we looked at last week, in His Father's house, that bridal chamber. And He takes us back to that place. And very interesting when He says that to the disciples. You know, whenever Jesus would teach in those teachable moments, the disciples, He would always reference it as a fulfillment of the Scripture, even at the Last Supper, the Passover. It was a fulfillment of the Passover. So Jesus would connect those scriptural dots as the fulfillment of those prophecies. But interesting, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but when He refers to this place that He's preparing, he doesn't connect it to a prior prophecy. He he doesn't say, he doesn't attach to it that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. Why is that? Because he's introducing the rapture of the church. That's not to say that, and we've seen this in the types and the shadows, that the rapture is not in the Old Testament. Oh my goodness, is it? And we saw that on Sunday with Joseph. I mean, big time. But what he was saying was he was introducing to them the rapture as a bridegroom to his bride. And he would go on then to expound on that. And they're trying to wrap their minds around that. Wait, 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 I don't remember this. (laughs) Go to prepare a place. And what scripture does that fulfill? Ah. No, I'm introducing this to you now. This is the rapture. And it should put to rest once and for all, all of the questions about where did Jesus ever talk about the rapture, replete throughout the Gospels. Jesus is speaking as a bridegroom to His bride concerning what we know as the rapture and by the way the word rapture is a transliteration from the latin vulgate rapturos or rapturo in the greek it's harpazō and we translate it in the english caught up i prefer rap- rapture more than harpazō doesn't harpazō kind of sound like a like a garbanzo bean i'll have a I'm sorry, but no, it does like garbanzo. I'll take a side of garbanzo beans and I'll take some of those harpazo beans over there. Rapture sounds like, like it sounds, rapture. Like fast, and it's going to be very fast. I am of the belief that God not only never faults anyone for longing for the rapture, watching for the rapture, looking for the Lord's return, excited about the Lord's return. I think it's the opposite that's true. Not only does He not hold it against us, as it were, He actually is going to reward us because of it. Well, I could go on. You know I could. I won't. Verse 9, My favorite topic is the rapture. So anytime I get a chance to talk about that, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take advantage and seize that opportunity. (laughs) Verse nine, it's the hope, right? It's the, not only is it the blessed hope, Paul writing to Titus, it's our only hope, right? I know I've said this many times. And again, I'll never tire of saying it. I hope you don't tire of me saying it. But Okay this will be the last thing I'll say about the rapture and <laughs> then we'll move on to verse 9. We we were so close to verse 9. Not quite. Just hang on. I I and I mean this, this is not hyperbole and the Lord knows my heart when I say this. If it were not for the sound doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture. It's not a theory, it's a sound doctrine. It's a sound doctrine if it weren't for the sound doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture, I honestly do not believe that I would still have my sanity. And again, that is not hyperbole. Because as I look and I see, and you know, Solomon, we saw this in Ecclesiastes, writes about how that with much knowledge comes much sorrow. Have you ever thought about it like that? As Christians, we know more than the non-Christians and what comes packaged with that knowledge of the end and what's coming upon the world. What comes packaged with that is much sorrow. We we say it in the secular sense, ignorance is bliss. There are some times where I just wish, even in my studies and research and my preparation for the prophecy updates, there are some things that I just wish I did not learn. about what's going on. I mean, it is so evil. There is an evil plot to destroy mankind. And it comes from Satan himself, who is sought from the very beginning. Jesus says that he comes to steal, kill and destroy and that has been his sole goal from the beginning of human history is to destroy mankind and so there is this evil plot afoot and especially in these last days really the last moments the last hour he's sort of revving it up ramping it up if you will and were it not for again, the sound doctrine of the rapture. I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it. But see, knowing that that trumpet could sound at any time, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up, Harpazzo beans and uh, <laughs> raptors. <laughs> To meet the Lord in the air, that settles me. That's my anchor. That settles me. That calms me. It's like, okay, all right. All right. That that's our great escape. You know when um, and this gets people messed up, and okay, this will be the last, last thing on the rapture. <laughs> You know, when Jesus said, you know, uh, pray that you're worthy to escape. A lot of people get all messed up and, and unnecessarily so. And I, I don't mean to be um, mean. I just want to say this lovingly. What is it that you don't understand about that? Does, Jesus is not saying that we have to earn the right to go up in the rapture, to be deemed worthy to, be, to, to escape in the rapture, what he's saying is, pray that you're found worthy. Who's worthy? Jesus is worthy. Worthy is the lamb. So when he says, pray that you may be found worthy, not in your own worthiness, not in your own righteousness that Isaiah says is as filthy rags. And by the way, it's pretty graphic in the original language. I'll just leave it there. And, the, and the, the symbolism of it, when you understand it as a minstrel cloth that represents death, that was an egg that was not fertilized. That's what that means. In other words, that's what your righteousness is. It's death. The wages of sin is death. Your righteousness is worthless. Your own righteousness. It's His imputed righteousness. That's what makes you worthy. So when Jesus says, pray that you're worthy. In other words, you need to be in Christ and His righteousness imputed to you. And then you stand before Him, not in your own righteousness. You will not be worthy. You stand before Him in His righteousness, and you are worthy and you will escape. Keyword escape. Don't get hung up on worthy. We, we resolved that, right? Can we close that file? Let's talk about the escape file. I like that word a lot. It's kind of interesting because those who take us to task concerning the sound doctrine of the preacher will say, well, you, you just want to escape. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, it is the escape. The rapture is the escape. We will escape that which is coming upon this Christ-rejecting world. Okay, you good? We're good, right? You should be asking me that. Are you good? I'm fine now. Thank you very much. Verse 9. I feel better now. So now she asks the daughters of Jerusalem, if you see my beloved, Tell him I'm lovesick. I, I'm longing for him. And here's our response, verse 9. What is your beloved more than any other beloved, O fairest among women? What is your beloved more than any other beloved that you so charge us? In other words, what in the world? Who is this guy? I mean, look at you. You look terrible. You're lovesick and you're sick. You can't eat. You have no appetite. You obviously can't sleep. Here you are. So what is it about Him that makes you this way? I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) Is this not how it is for us? When people ask us, man, what is up with you? And and, and and really what they're asking is, what is it about Jesus that makes you like that? Because I knew you before. You know, when you first got saved, all your friends were like, what happened? <laughs> What's wrong with you? That's, you're not you. I know. I, I, I'm born again. <laughs> oh, geez, I love you. You know, when I first got saved, I had no theology, I had no vocabulary because of all the brain cells I killed i 'm not proud of that, but I mean basically this is this is how I witness to people. Jesus is real, Jesus is really real. Jesus is real, do you want to know jesus he 's so real He just that was it <laughs> It's all I could talk about, all I could think about, and so this is what they're doing they're they're asking her about her relationship with and her faith in and her love for the Lord. You're smitten, man. Something's happened to you. You've changed. And what an opportunity, right, for us to give an answer to everyone who asks of that hope that lies within us. By the way, there's a practical application and principle here. I, I don't think I should just um, move on from. Uh, stay with me. They need to ask. What do I mean? I think we you know, the Lord knows our heart, but we can be so obnoxious for Christ. And we just, you know, we, we accost people and we bombard people and we, you know, I did it. I mean, people would see me come and they would go the other way. Oh no, not him again. I was, I was obnoxious for Christ. <laughs> and and uh, I was answering questions they weren't asking. Isn't it more better? <laughs> that they ask because when they ask, that's an open door. And then you give the answer. But here's the thing, there has to be something about your life that makes them want to ask. It's the peculiarity. There's something peculiar about you, something different about you. What is it? Because I want it. Because I'm looking at you and you're not freaking out. You're not, you know, everybody else is. Man, there's just something different about you. And they ask, and then you give them the answer. And that's exactly what she's going to do, beginning in verse 10 through the end of the chapter. I'm going to go through this quickly. But as I do, I want to draw upon the allegory because she's going to describe her beloved. And woven into the fabric of that description in her answer is an apt description of who Jesus is. So let's go through this. My beloved, verse 10, is white that speaks to purity and perfection, without blemish, without spot, without wrinkle, sinless, sinless. And Ruddy, that speaks to power and might. He's all powerful. Chief among 10,000, he rules and reigns, 10,000 by his side. Verse 11, his head, is like the finest gold. Gold speaks of divinity. He was fully God, fully man. His locks are wavy and black as a raven. I inquired of the Lord about this, wasn't quite sure. And this is just, I guess, for lack of a better word, conjecture on my part, but I'll just suggest it anyway. I think this speaks to his victory over death. He defeated the grave. He rose again from the dead. Verse 12, His eyes are like doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. This is Jesus as the Prince of Peace. Verse 13, His cheeks are like a bed of spices, banks of scented herbs. His lips are lilies dripping liquid myrrh, what comes out of his lips, what comes out of his mouth. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. I think this speaks to the words of Christ. Verse 14, His hands are rods of gold set with barrel. His body is carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble, set on bases of fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon, excellent as the cedars, the famous cedars of Lebanon, my birthplace of Beirut, Lebanon, known for these massive cedar trees. This, of course, speaks to His strength. I can do all things, Philippians 4, 13, through Christ who strengthens me. And then this last verse, His mouth is most sweet. Hang on to that. Yes, He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Wow. This last verse says it all, doesn't it? This is who Jesus is. And this is how Jesus is. He's a friend of sinners. And what about His mouth being so sweet, most sweet? Ah, can't think of a better way to end the Bible study than this. I need to point out something here. Notice what's conspicuously absent from all of this. There's not one mention of him having so much as a harsh word towards her. No, from his mouth, there's no harshness, only sweetness. Maybe this has personal application to the marriage relationship. Not maybe it does. Guys, we need to talk. Wives, give us a moment. (laughs) Uh, The only words that should ever come out of our mouth to our wives should be words of sweetness. If it's words of harshness. They will wither. And to have harshness instead of sweetness, you you, you do so to your own peril. You're the one who pays the cost and the price in the end. You know, your wife is a delicate flower. The best analogy I ever heard was that of the buffalo and the butterfly. Stay with me. You got a buffalo over here. Buffalo, right? You know what a buffalo is, right? big ugly thing. Then you got this, oh, this small, beautiful butterfly over here. What a contrast, right? Now you're going to take a pebble and you're going to put it on the back of that buffalo. Doesn't even know it's there. Rolls off its back. Take that same pebble, put it on the wing of that butterfly. You crush it. You kill it. That's what words of harshness are like. You know, guys, we're so insensitive. You know, our wives are so delicate and, and sensitive, and we could be so inconsiderate, so insensitive, so unloving. And it doesn't take much. Take it from me. <laughs> I got the scars to prove it. What, what a jerk I was early. On. Not now, of course, we have a perfect marriage uh, now. But early on in our marriage, man, I was such a jerk. Things I would say to her. I mean, not, you know, not bad in the sense of, you know, foul or vile, just cutting things. You know, pious in my piety and my spiritual pride. And you know, woman, Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. But just a a word that is not fitly spoken can do so much damage to her. And isn't it true, guys, that wives, I mean, they've got photographic memory when it comes to those things. I mean, they'll bring up things from 30 years ago. You had long forgotten. She said, you remember that time when, <laughs> how did you, what, why do you keep bringing that up? Because they carry things longer and harder. And they'll remind you. They don't just get hysterical, they get historical. <laughs> I mean, they bring up things from the pages of history. that <laughs> You've long forgotten. What does that tell you? that hurt him. You hurt him. Oh, they've forgiven you, but the scars remain. The scars remain. Jesus is the perfect example of this. Okay, that means we're supposed to close, so we'll close. But <laughs> He's the perfect example of this. Never a harsh word, only sweetness from His lips. Why don't you stand? We'll pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we want to be numbered amongst those of whom it can be said that when you knocked on the door of our lives, we immediately responded. No excuses. We immediately responded and we acted because of the urgency of the hour. Lord, I pray also that we would be numbered amongst those of whom it can be said that when the trumpet sounds, we won't be caught off guard because we're longing for, watching for, yearning for Your return for us. And we know, Lord, You're at the door. So Jesus Maranatha, come quickly in Jesus' name. Amen.